Hey, well, welcome to the Online Weekend Experience. Uh, my name is Aiden. If I haven't got to meet you before, so glad uh, that you're joining us in this way as we've been going through uh, this book, First Corinthians, all summer. I want to say this. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We'd love to connect with you. What I mean by that is we would love to, you can email us. We'd love to answer any questions that you may have about uh, anything we've been talking about. We'd love to pray for you if there's anything going on in your life that needs prayer. Uh, coming up, end of this month, uh, we're having our workshops, uh, and we're going to have a couple virtual ones, virtual discovery. If you haven't done that, we would love for you to join us in that way. We'd love for you to take a next step uh, in any of those ways. I said a couple months ago that, or a couple weeks ago, that I'm a mumbler. Some of you know that. don't have to explain that too much, but I mumble and I talk fast. And now one thing I love about this time of year, late July, early August, we're kind of cresting, coming, coming down a summer, is that I love going to Blossom and seeing a good concert at Blossom. You ever been there this time of year? It's wonderful. And a couple years ago, this time of year, we had some good friends of ours. They love to go to concerts and buy crazy tickets and do this stuff. And they took us to see John Mayer. Now, I'm a big John Mayer fanboy. Big John Mayer fanboy. Like, like when you have to do security questions for a password, if you're logging into somewhere, it's like, who's the famous person that you would like to meet? I wrote John Mayer, usually. But we, we were going to meet John Mayer, and we got a meet and greet. We got to meet him. And so we're in the back. We're in the back room. We're about to go in and meet John Mayer, and I'm, I'm super pumped. I want to tell him the story about how he wrote this album called Born and Raised, and it was about this kind of California road trip and dealing with life's confusion. And I listened to it while I was dealing with life's confusion. I was on a road trip as a young man, and it was the perfect album, and I couldn't wait to tell him. So we go in, and I, I stand there, and John Mayer's real tall. I look up at tall Mr. Mayer. And my mumbling kicks in, and I tell him a story that I think sounded probably something like this. You had California, and you wrote Born and Raised, and it was the best album. But I really liked that album a lot, but it, it really changed my life. And we were on a road trip somewhere in California where we listened to the album, and you wrote it in that one, Born and Raised, but Queen of California was my favorite song, but also this one, and it changed me so much. Thanks. And he looked at me, and he said, he bent down, and he said, what's that? Like, I just mumbled this whole thing to him. It was unclear. It wasn't helpful. I had this message that I wanted to communicate to the mayor, but I mumbled it. I fumbled it because I was not clear. Now, this will come in handy later. We have been going through the book of 1 Corinthians all summer. And this letter is full of so much, and I think it's so relatable to us today. Because in a lot of ways, the church can look like a mess. We can have a lot of problems. There can be a lot of communication, failure, and miscommunication, and confusion that happens within the church as we communicate. But it's nothing new because Paul was writing into this, this church in Corinth a couple thousand years ago. And he was writing to a church that had all kinds of problems, that they were self-focused, they were immature, they misunderstood many things. It's almost like he was walking into a room full of children. He calls them children in this passage in chapter 14. It's almost like, I don't know if you're a parent, you babysit, you're a teacher, and you walk in and there's just chaos. And you got to be like, get that marker out of your mouth. Stop hitting each other. You grab a seat. You stop being so loud. And he's just, like, it's almost what he's doing in certain, lovingly, but it's almost what he's doing in certain sections of this book. He, he, in chapter seven through 10, he kind of talks about relationships and sexuality and clarifies and corrects and rebukes. Like we talked about that. It was fun, right? Last week, he, he corrected some abuses of the Lord's Supper. That like the rich were having these parties and they were kind of leaving out the poor. And Paul was like, when you come together to celebrate the body and blood of Christ, do so in this way. He makes some corrections. 
Chapter 11, is, he kind of talks about the way in which we're supposed to come to worship for the cultural context that they were in and how they can kind of represent God in worship in the context they find themselves in. And chapter 12 talks about unity and diversity and corrects. He says, you're very different, but you come together as one. You kind of misunderstand. Some of you want to be better than others. Talks about love, which we're going to look at next week in chapter 13. Talks about kind of the ethic and how this plays out through all this confusion, all this immaturity in today. What Paul is going to address is he wants to address their gatherings when they come together for worship. And for our context, maybe it's coming together for small groups. Maybe it's coming together as we worship on the weekends for services. But he's addressing the fact that these gatherings have become chaotic. They become self-focused. They become confusing and in a lot of ways unhelpful because of the chaos and confusion. He's almost walking in going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Kind of frame by which he's walking through. Now, for the sake of today, we're going to be in chapter 14. And this is an interesting chapter. It's a, there's a lot going on. It's a lot to sift through. It's a lot of maybe cultural things we don't adapt to, different spiritual things, language we don't always use. But today, Paul's going to talk about tongues. He's going to talk about prophecy and a few other hot potatoes in here. And so we just want to walk through it because we want to walk through the scriptures that the Lord has given to us. So I would acknowledge as we, as we look at this, I know that everybody listening comes from all kinds of different backgrounds. Some of you that didn't grow up in a church background, you're like, I don't know what any of those things are. Some of you might've grown up in a, in a more traditional straight and narrow. And so you talk about tongues and prophecy and you're like, what? Some of you might've come from a charismatic background where you're like, oh yeah, tongues, prophecy. I was curious where you guys were at with all this. Like, and you have different experiences, right? Some of these some of these things, some of these different experiences, the way that we view these things, we kind of might come to a passage like this if you have different church experience, kind of a predisposition. And some of it is because of negative experiences you've had. Maybe it's because of misunderstandings or negative things you've seen. And so we all come to this passage differently, right? I just want to say that out top. We all come to this differently. But I want to say this out of the top. My desire today is we look at chapter 14 is that we wouldn't get lost in the weeds of the specifics about what Paul is talking about with tongues and prophecy and how these things play out and all these different things. But we want to gain a perspective and understanding of the posture that we are supposed to have as we're gathered together. I don't think this passage is an expose on how we're supposed to figure out tongues. That's what Paul talks through. He talks through how these spiritual gifts play out in the gathering. But the greater thing that Paul wants to communicate in here that we want to look at today is this. What I think this passage is pointing us to is this. That our vertical worship, the way that we honor and worship God when we come together, the way that God is most glorified is displayed by the way that we love one another, by our horizontal love for one another. That God is most worshiped when we display love and prefer others above ourselves, primary way when we're gathered together. And we're going to unpack this today, that we honor God when we prioritize one another. So let's jump right in today. All right, we're going to start in 14, chapter 1. It says this, follow the way of love. We kind of did this out of order. Next week, we're going to talk about the love chapter, Corinthians 13. But he continues right on from chapter 13, talking about love. Follow the way of love. This is a continuation of that conversation we're going to look at. And eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. We'll explain that. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, 
but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you have prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. All right. You're like, Aiden, what are we talking about here? I just wanted to define a couple terms quick. I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't want to sit on this. We're not going to unpack this and do a lesson on all this stuff forever, but I want to give us a quick context. One of the things I've learned from Dan oftentimes when someone says a phrase to him, do you believe in this? Are you this? The first question he'll ask is, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that word? Can we define some things? And so I want to give a couple just rough definitions of these things. Now, for the sake of today, there's kind of a spectrum. As we talk about some of these more miraculous sounding gifts like tongues and, and interpretation of tongues and the gift of healing and some of these different types of things, there's kind of a spectrum on how these things play out today. On one side of the spectrum, we call it cessationism. And in that kind of position, that side of the spectrum kind of believes that, hey, these miraculous gifts, certain miraculous gifts of the Spirit, they existed in the early church because we didn't yet have the canon of the scriptures. Like the early church, when they're meeting in Acts, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, they didn't have their Bible where they can see the full revelation of God and read all the Gospels and read all Paul's letters, right? So the Spirit showed up in a unique way in that context. And they would believe that now those certain more miraculous gifts have ceased. That's what's cessationism. They, they have stopped because we have the fulfilled canon of Scripture, right? And then on the other side of the spectrum would be continuous. Let's say all those, all those gifts, and, and this is a whole big conversation. This is real quick. All those gifts are still in full use today. In the same way we see in Acts 2, those, those gifts play out in the same way today. And there's kind of the, that space in between that maybe you're open to these things, but you're still cautious. So you don't believe that they've fully stopped, but you're kind of cautious on how these certain things play out. There might be different situations, that there might be certain contexts where these spiritual gifts that they're playing out are more relevant than others. As a general rule, our kind of tradition would be more on this side of the spectrum than this side for the sake of today. But as, as Paul talks about tongues, it, there could be different confusion. There's, I've read a whole bunch of different commentaries. There's all kinds of different places people land. One way that people take this would be similar to Acts 2. When Peter gives this, this message in the book of Acts chapter 2, and people, because they were all gathered for Pentecost, all kinds of different nations, all kinds of different languages, that when Peter spoke, they all understood in their own tongue, in their own language. So there's a sense when Paul talks about this, is he talking about, this language that, that as the church speaks, as, as the message is preached, as the gospel is communicated, as they're taught, that they understand in their own languages. So there's that sense that it's just an understanding of, of other foreign languages. The other option is what kind of is expressed in verse 2, is that tongues is this intimate prayer language with God. That is kind of this, this muttering of the spirit that is understood by God and it's for the individual and kind of this, this intimacy with God. Either way, either way, we're not going to get into all the nitty gritty of that and what's right, what's wrong. Either way, Paul gives clear instruction on how and why they should be used. In this passage, at this time that Paul is writing, he seems to be communicating that however tongues plays out, it's fine. It's fine but it's more valuable to the individual than the actual building up of the church. Think about it this way. I, I, uh, my summer or my winter project this year was, you know, we have two kids and your house gets real small. There's toys and kids everywhere. And so I'm like, I don't have a space that's my own. And so I undertook to build like an office in my basement. Now my basement is only about a millimeter taller than I am. So if you're any taller than me, you gotta walk around like this, but it's perfect for me. And so I built this home office in my basement and I love it. It's, it's a great thing. 
It, it, I, I go down there and I can focus, I can prep down there, it's a quiet area, I love it. But it's for me. Like it's a good thing, but ultimately it's for my building up. It's for, for my edification. And that's what Paul's saying about tongues. He's saying that this is for the individual, this isn't necessarily for the building up of the church, right? He talks about tongues. Second thing he talks about that might be a little bit, what is he talking about? Is prophecy. Now, I want to be clear, in the, in the Old Testament, we see prophets. The prophets, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, prophets in the Old Testament. And these prophets had the office of prophet, and they were writing the scriptures. They would say something, they would communicate, and it would be, thus saith the Lord. God spoke through these prophets in a unique and powerful way, written down as scripture. Now, that is not what we're talking about. That's not what he's talking about when he says prophet, or when he talks about prophecy in this passage. That these scriptures, the prophecies, were penned by the apostles and the prophets. This beautiful picture of human and divine that come together, that give us the scriptures. The scriptures alone hold the authoritative, spoken, written word of God through his instruments, men and women, all throughout the Bible. That that is sealed, done, delivered. And oftentimes, let's say this, that abuse can happen. Abuse can happen when a, when a man or a woman says, I have heard from God in a unique way, in an authoritative way, and you need to listen to what I say because I'm a prophet from God. If, if God told you and it's, and it's the ultimate word and it's equal to scripture, it's a lot of, you, you, can, you can do a lot of things and we've, we've seen that, right? But that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about in this, in this passage. At the, at the time of this, as we said, that the, they didn't have yet the canon of scripture to run our lives. The spirit showed up in a different way. And so the Spirit communicated in a different capacity, in a different relevant context now. And while we look at the, the idea of prophecy, we may be confused. The heart of prophecy then and now is the same, but the means may be a little bit different. So what is prophecy? Studied this all week, and there's so many different terms, so many different things, but I want to go with it for this week. This was the most unifying thing that I continue to come back to. Sometimes we talk about prophecy and we're like, well, it is. It feels like you're like petting a reptile. You're like, okay, prophecy. Is it predicting the future? Is it going into a trance? Is it some spiritual jargon? I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, prophecy is God's truth in plain words. It's this communication of God's truth in plain words. J.D. Greer says, prophecy is letting the spirit of God speak through us to one another. But this context may have showed up in a, different, in a different way in the early church than we see now. And prophecy can show up in a lot of different communication in our one-on-one relationships, in our, in our small groups. Preaching is a form of prophecy, but speaking God's truth in plain words into our culture, into lives of people. Now, why is Paul saying, what is the point of all this? Why are we talking about all this? The point of all this is that horizontal love. We talked about horizontal love, that we most love God when we love horizontally. It's for the sake of building up the church. What is the point of prophecy? That it's horizontal love that builds up the church. Look right here. Look what Paul says in verse 3. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That prophesying, speaking truth into someone's life from the scriptures, empowered by the Spirit, is for strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. I drew this, this picture. I think this is how this plays out today. That we, as followers of Jesus, that we live in, Paul is writing to a church. He's not just throwing it out there on Facebook for anybody who wants an encouraging word. He's writing to the church. And so all of this happens in the context of community. 
that we live in community with other followers of Jesus. And for us in 2022, that we, we live in the scriptures, that the scriptures of spirit uh, inspired and empowered word of God, authoritative word of God, that is everything we need for life for following Christ, that we live in community with one another, seeped and grown in the scriptures, that as we navigate life with one another, in prayer, in the following prompting of the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit in light of the Scriptures, that we follow this heart of discernment. And prophecy is us in context of community, in the Scriptures, with discernment, speaking God's truth into the lives of those that are around us. This is not this simple uh, encouraging, like, you're great. I just want to encourage you and say, have a good day. You're great. It's not so simple as that, but it's the spurring on of one another towards further trust in Jesus. It's less about a mystical, magical word or a vision you get, but it's more about the building up and the keeping in step with the Spirit as you encourage one another towards Christ for the strengthening, encouraging, and comfort of one another. Ask yourselves those questions. Am I in the scriptures? Am I in community? Am I seeking to strengthen and encourage those around me? I think sometimes we talk about prophecy. We can maybe get lost in the, the mysticism of the word itself. And some things we might say, oh, well, that's prophecy because it kind of had this air about it. But this was just a, a nice word. Watch it. Think about this. I, I don't know if this is a good picture or not. It's the best thing I could think of. But I have a good friend uh, locally that he's a, he's a fellow pastor. He's my age. We are good friends. And, 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 and we get together pretty often. And uh, very, it's, it's always encouraging. I love our time together. We're just a couple young pastors figuring out what we're doing, right? But he was going through kind of this, this unique situation in the church that he was leading. They're going through a lot of different change and he had a lot of different generations he's kind of trying to bring together and navigate. And we we're kind of talking about this over lunch. And the next day I was, I was just spending some time reading just a, a book where this, this guy was talking about prayer and he was talking about generations and I was spending some time in prayer and I just kept thinking of my friend. And I kept thinking about the situation that he was in and I was a little bit discouraged trying to figure out this stuff. And and I just felt kind of this, this, this drive while I'm in scriptures and community with my friend, this drive to like, I want to I wanna text him and say, hey man, I know the season that you're in is tough, but I believe that God has you in the situation in your church, in a unique situation, in a unique circumstance to get to show this beautiful picture of generation and get to in, build the kingdom in this unique way. Now, that might've just been a nice text, but could it be that that is what prophecy is? That that's what it means to prophesy over each other, speak truth into each other's lives with discernment in the scriptures, in the context of community. Is that what it looks like? I'm sure that you can think of moments where someone has given you a, a word or prayed for you at the right time and it's pointed your heart to Jesus. That it's built you up, that it's built the kingdom up, that it's pointed your heart to Jesus. Maybe they prayed for you in a way that did more than just made you feel nice. We maybe wouldn't in our context today use, oh, that was, I was prophesied over. But we're speaking truth into someone's life in light of the scriptures empowered by the Spirit for the building up of the church. Look at what Paul says in verse 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Because this, this horizontal love he's calling this chaotic church to is for the building up of one another, not just the building up of themselves. That the church Paul is writing to was so excited about the spiritual experience, trying to figure out this tongues thing. And he's like, hold on, that's for you. But when you're gathered, I want you to, I would rather you prophesy to build up the church. I told you how my office was in my basement. It was good and it was for me. 
But almost the picture Paul is giving is this picture, I think, of when we kind of redid an area in our church and all these volunteers came together to rebuild and kind of build up this student area, this office space. And while my building of my office was good for myself, that there is this sense when the church came together, these volunteers came together, they were building something different. They were building something for the common good, for the good of everyone in the church. I think that's what Paul's saying, prophesying is. It's not for just us, but it's for the building up of the church. It's for the building up of one another. That we demonstrate our worship and love to Jesus when we prioritize building up others above our own spiritual experience. We so often can prioritize our own spiritual experience. But we would worship God more strongly when we seek to build up others through horizontal love and speaking truth into their lives. Look at what he goes on to say here. I want to say it this way today. That Paul goes on in this next section. That horizontal love, when we love one another, that it's clear. It's clear. You think about kind of the chaotic moment that Paul is writing into. And look at what he says. Verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters... If I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation of knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a pipe or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is distinction in the notes? Verse 8, he gives another analogy. Again, if a trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak in intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Verse 10, undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. Verse 11, if then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to me, so it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Now, they're, they're talking about tongues and prophecy in a specific context of what he's writing into, but I think the heart of what Paul is saying is so powerful. He uses this analogy of music and of a battle cry and of human languages, these three different images, and what he's communicating, what he's saying is that if there's no clarity, if there's no distinction, if it's not intelligible, no one knows what you're talking about, and it's not helpful. It's not helpful is what he's communicating. I went to uh, my, my nephew years ago, was in fourth grade, and I went to a talent show. <laughs> and I heard there's like a 10 kids playing the violin. God bless them, bless their hearts. But it was 10 kids at once playing the violin, and I couldn't tell you what song they were even aiming for, right? It was just it was not, not a lot of distinction between the notes. And so there was no, no emotional grab to my heart, no connection with the melody, because I don't know what the wonderful kids were playing, right? Set, set tongues and prophecy and all these kind of biblical language that we're navigating, set it aside for a second. The heart of what Paul is saying, if we aren't clear in the message of Jesus about sin and grace and life and death, we, we are just speaking spiritual jargon. We are, we're, we are just communicating random spiritual things. And if you think about for the sake of of so many things, but especially when it comes to the sake of the gospel, that being unclear is oftentimes being unloving. (laughs) I had a friend one time who was navigating relationships and breakups and all this kind of stuff. And and he was telling me a story about him talking to his brother. And he told his brother that he broke up with this girl. And his brother said, did she cry? He said, no. He said, then you weren't clear enough. Like, he's like, if she didn't cry, you weren't clear, and she doesn't know you guys are actually broken up. Being unclear can be unkind, but on the other side, 
Sometimes we're like, yeah, that's why I tell people straight up, this is what's going on. And so I just give it to them. There's a difference between being cruel and being clear. That we are called to share the gospel in truth and love. And there's a sense of making this clear. Paul is like, if there's no distinction, if there's no, if there's no clarity, if it's not intelligible, we don't know what we're talking about. He's talking about the context of this, this service, this gathering that they're in. He's like, what are we doing? No one knows what's going on. No one knows what you're saying. No one knows the truth that you're trying to communicate into the moment because we can't understand you. We say this all the time, but one of our main values here is that we want Jesus to make sense. We want Jesus to make sense both to our heart and to our minds, both in beauty and in truth, in our emotions, in our logic. Look at what Paul goes on to say in verse 14. He says, ah, I forgot to click the other one earlier. Look what he says here. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray in my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. That Paul is clear that this is both in our spirit and in our intellect. It's how we're called to make Jesus make sense in our own hearts, in our own lives. But he doesn't stop there. This is where this passage gets super powerful. Look at what he goes on to say. In verse 18, or verse 16, Otherwise, when you are praising God in spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, is what Paul says. He says, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. What Paul is saying is that this idea of tongues, building up yourself, this, this spiritual experience in you and God, however that plays out, he's like, I do that more than all of you. That's not a bad thing. But Paul says, I would rather say a couple choice words that build up everybody that are clear. Because look at what he says. There's those that are going to come that are in the position of an inquirer. That Paul is addressing the dynamics of how the church gathers and services and how they come together. And he expects there to be inquirers. He expects those to walk in who don't understand this whole thing going on. He continues in verse 23 later on in the passage. He says, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers, unbelievers, those that don't have faith in Jesus, he's expecting them to be there. They come in. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? They come in just hear kind of this chaos going on. They're like, what? What is going on? But if an unbeliever and inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, speaking truth into this context, they are convicted of sin. They, they recognize their need for Jesus, their conviction of sin, and brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their heart are laid bare so that they will fall down and worship God, explaining God is really among you. That what Paul is saying is that if we just walk in and it's chaos, they're not going to hear the message of the gospel. But if it's clear and there's order and it's intelligible, the hope is that those who don't yet know Jesus, you may be listening, you don't know Jesus yet, is that you would see the holiness of God, feel the weight of your sin, but see the beauty of a God who stepped in to deal with that and that you would be cut to the heart and fall in worship before God saying, God is present with you. 
That is the, that is the heart of inquires, unbelievers coming into this gathering. Tim Keller says this, I think it's powerful. He says, worship isn't just about honoring tradition or keeping up with culture. It's about attracting non-believers through comprehensible worship and leading those people to personal commitment. Paul says both in our spirit and in our intellect. For the believer, for the non-believer, he wants this message to be clear because it's the most important message. You may be listening to this and you may not yet know Jesus. Maybe you've been checking us out online to kind of a first step to hearing all this. I am so glad that you are checking us out. And we want this to be clear. Email us, call the office, ask questions. We would love to meet with you. They always say, buy coffee. I don't drink coffee. I'm not gonna, I'll buy you coffee. But we'd love to have this conversation with you. Because this message of Jesus gets so distorted in our culture. There's so many, we all walk in with different dispositions, different understandings, but the message of Jesus is that he is a God who has stepped into our sinful brokenness, has taken that upon himself and offered a way to life eternal and be present with Jesus here and now and forever. We'd love to have that conversation with you and we're so glad that you're checking us out. As we talk about this picture of horizontal love, that God is most glorified when we are loving towards one another, when we build one another up, when we're clear. And the whole kind of end of the passage, Paul goes through a whole bunch of different things. But it basically is saying this, that horizontal love eliminates distractions. Eliminates distractions. Paul, Paul goes off on this list of commands regarding specifics about how this service needs to play out. He's like, when you gather, he goes through all these different things. One of the things he says is he says, if someone's speaking in tongues and there's no interpreter to kind of say what's going on, he says, be silent. He uses this word, sigayo. He says, be silent, sit down. Don't stand up and have your own spiritual experience. Sit down. To those that are prophesying in different order that they're, that he says, three of you, stand up. I want one of you to stand up. And then when you're done, the first person stands down. And when that second person starts, he says that first person, sigayo, be silent, sit down. There's a whole dicey passage in here where he talks to women in the church. And Paul says, be silent to these women in the church. He says, be silent and go home and inquire to your husbands about these things, which not a lot of people put that passage, like tattoo that on their arm, right? But he uses the same word, this sagayo, because what was happening is that all these different people, whether they were cutting people off, whether they were in speaking tongues with no interpretation, whether it's this group of women in the church who were causing disruption and they were questioning their husbands in the service and causing this scene, to all of them he's saying sagayo is the Greek word, he's saying be silent. You're causing chaos. And the word actually means to hold one's peace. He says, hold your peace, hold on. Look at what he says in verse 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. The ESV says God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. That we reflect the order and the beauty of God when we prioritize honoring one another above ourselves. If we are honest, in, the, in our kind of modern context in church today, if we err on any side, we, we err on the side of order, right? Like we, we print off orders of service so we know what's kind of going on. If you lead in a small group, you got it all kind of planned out and the things you want to talk about and kind of where you want to navigate the conversation. But Paul instructs our time together to be orderly because we worship a God of order, of creation, 
and of design and of nature and of the church and a family that God has in order to these things, a beauty to how these things are to play out. It's an interesting kind of way he puts this, that God is not a God of disorder, of confusion, but of peace. We may come to church, watch online, and got our 60 minutes in order, and our hope is that God will be most glorified vertically when we love one another and serve one another. And that can be in order. But oftentimes, we, we, we have conversations, we, we leave the room, and as followers of Jesus, our inner lives are so disordered, so chaotic, that maybe in that room it's in order, but we're yelling at each other, we're disagreeing with each other, we're giving each other the cold shoulder. And oftentimes this is happening because the same, the same reasons that the Corinthians were that our hearts can be the same way that the Corinthians were, that we can be divisive and self-seeking and, and childish in our thinking, that we desire spiritual experience for ourselves. We want to build ourselves up. We're not worried about things being clear as long as it makes sense to me. That's all that matters. I'm not, I don't care if others are confused or if I'm distracted. I want this to be focused on myself. And oftentimes, oftentimes this disorder can show up in the form of anxiety. It can show up in the form of bitterness. It can show up in the form of being preoccupied with our own situations, our own problems, and not the sake of others. That Paul is addressing this external disorder. He's coming into the service and there is so much disorder, but that external disorder that can happen begins internally. That external disorder begins internally. You may, be, you may be tuning in today, and, and you just feel just mixed up inside. You just feel confused with where you're at with God. Maybe you just feel confused with the state of where the church is at. You just feel confused about your own spiritual walk and where you're at. Internally, you might just feel like you're all over the place, like you're anxious or you're uncertain or you're angry. And this points us to the fact that God is not a God of confusion and disorder, but he's a God of peace. Jesus came and Jesus was the Prince of Peace. First Timothy shows us that the Spirit God gives us, the Holy Spirit, is a spirit of love and of power and of self-control. Sometimes when we gather, we can just be simply seeking a spiritual experience and not Jesus himself. We can get transfixed on, on finding the right answers but we can miss Jesus. Sometimes we just want to be right about theology, about our perspective. We just want to be right about things, and we miss fellowship with Jesus and with one another. The gospel isn't that Jesus came and and showed us how to just simply fix our problems. But Jesus came. He came heaven down to us. He came to us and served us horizontally, washed our feet. He came not to be served, but to serve. That Jesus's love for us was horizontal love. That he loved us above himself. And the gospel offers us true harmony, true reconciliation, true peace, that a couple answers, that a couple spiritual experiences aren't going to lead us to. That true reconciliation, true inner peace that leads to external peace begins in the gospel of Jesus. 
And we are called to love one another by making that message of Jesus clear and accessible, by getting rid of distractions, by setting aside the things that might pull those inquirers, the unbelievers, those that are seeking after Jesus, we're eliminating distractions. Paul talks about this earlier. He says, I'm free from all these things. I'm free from having to drag all these things along so that I may use my freedom for the sake of clarity for the other, for the sake of building up the church. That's why the church gathers to worship God by loving one another and sharing the message of the gospel with those that are coming in and inquiring. That's what Paul is talking about. And he's offering clarity to these things because he wants us to have internal peace that shows up in our gathering that points to Jesus. Because we have a God of peace, a Prince of peace, a Spirit of peace who points us not to all the right answers all the time, not to just simple spiritual experiences, but to Christ himself who is the way, the truth, and the life. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, this is a tough, interesting passage that we always don't turn to. But Jesus, in this, you give us so much, so much clarity on what it is you're asking of us when we come together. That when we come together, Jesus, it's not just for us, it's but for the sake of others and for followers of Christ. Jesus, I pray that the gospel would first and foremost be clear in our own hearts, would be clear in our own lives, Jesus. We are so distracted. God, I pray that you would help us to organize our inner lives, be focused on you so that when we come together, that we may build up others around us. That we may not seek our own spiritual experience, but we may seek the building up of those that you brought us into community with. Help us to be selfless by looking to the gospel of a God who is selfless, who stepped out of his glory and into our context to love us first. Jesus, we love you. Pray that you would help us and pray that our gatherings would reflect your glory and your love. It's because of Jesus we pray. Amen.